So um, resiliency. What comes to your mind when you think of resiliency? Resilience is the ability to personally deal with the challenges or difficulties of life, to press on, to persevere, and to endure. And yet one of the most fascinating things to watch in the last 80 years is how resiliency continues to decline in our culture. In fact, studies have suggested that resiliency is declining, especially in younger generations. I read this article um, written by Derek Larson, Younger Generations' Lack of Resiliency Raises Concerns for All Ages. And, and the here, here's the line that made me stop and just say, we need to talk about this. Studies suggest a lack of resilience is turning what were once seen as normal challenges of growing up into insurmountable obstacles. And I went, that's so interesting. Um, the, the article goes on to say, according to the National Alliance on Mental Health, one in four college students, listen to this, one in four college students is diagnosed with or treated for a mental health condition each year. Eight in ten students, 80%, felt overwhelmed, quote-unquote, and 45% felt that, quote, things were hopeless. In 2018, the Journal of Depression and Anxiety reported that 20%, get this, guys, 20% of 67,000 students studied had experienced suicidal thoughts, and 9% actually tried to commit suicide. That is, that is a horrible statistic. Beyond mental health, developing academic resilience deserves our attention as well. The ability to cope with and learn from academic challenges, including outright failure, is critical to success. Yet, academic resilience seems to have eroded rapidly over the past decade. A widely read 2015 article in Psychology Today noted that, quote, many students now view a C or sometimes even a B as failure. And they interpret such failure as the end of the world. Faculty reports report increasingly number, increasing numbers of students who not only respond poorly to criticism, but who also feel entitled to second or even third chances on exams, papers, and other assignments. Something their great-grandparents would never ask for. But the broader trend is simply toward declining resilience. Young adults appear to be less willing or able to learn from adversity than in the recent past. And, and I don't know if you've experienced this. I see this with my students, the, the college students that I have the privilege of working with now. I see it in my own children. I see it in my own heart. It's like, what is wrong? You know, I, my, my, I have one grandparent still alive. Uh, she is awesome. She loves Jesus. She is mature. Uh, and I hope that one day I have a faith like hers. And when I think about how I respond, how my generation responds, how younger generations respond, I often think about grandma. And I think stuff that they just took for granted, as this article suggests, are insurmountable life challenges. And that's just intriguing. That just fascinates me. Why is that? And while there are certainly sociological reasons why different generations manifest somewhat different levels of general resiliency, the Bible provides insightful instruction regarding the reality of something much more important, and that is a spiritual resiliency. 
The Bible shows us how God equips believers to not just endure through difficulty, but to thrive in those seasons of life. So I want to just kind of huddle the wagons here, if we could, and and just talk about this crisis of resiliency. Uh, I see it in my heart. Maybe you see it in yours. Maybe you see it in your children or grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And I think the Bible has something to say as we think about this growing sort of cultural crisis that is certainly in the church as well. So what I want to provide for you just in our short time here is is something of a roadmap for recovering spiritual resiliency. Uh, Rather than go to one text, I want to hop around a little bit and, and show you passages in the Bible that demonstrate the reality that not only ought we to pursue pursue uh, persistence and perseverance and resiliency, but God has given us everything we need in the person and work of Jesus to grow in resiliency and to, to face the challenges of life with a humble confidence in his ability to help us. Uh, so we're going to try to do that today. One question just before we, we get to our first point here. The Bible actually has a dedicated word to describe what we're talking about. And uh, normally Terry and I don't like to throw Greek and Hebrew around at you, but, but I'm going to do that today because I want you to know this word, okay? So it is the word hupomone. Can you say that with me? Hupomone. Okay, let's try that again. Hupomone. Not mone, mone. Hupomone. Okay? Hupomone. What is hupomone? What does that mean? It means the capacity to hold out or bear up in the face of difficulty with patience, endurance, fortitude, and steadfastness. That's what the word means, hupomone, the capacity to hold out or bear up in the face of difficulty. And it gets translated in our Bibles, uh, patience, endurance, fortitude, steadfastness, perseverance, hupomone. You need to know that because as we face challenges, stress, problems, dilemmas, difficulties, what we need is hupomone. We need grace-enabled, Jesus-empowered hupomone. We need perseverance. We need steadfastness. So we're going to do a little bit of paratrooper exposition. We're going to come in. We're going to look at a text, make a main point, egress out real quick, go to the next text, okay? So we'll do that uh, drive-by exposition here. But hopefully this will be helpful to get uh, a, a whole Bible, at least some of the key texts, idea of what we're talking about. With resilience. The first text I want you to look at is the one that we just read a moment ago in Colossians chapter 1. So if you still have that, look back there. If you've uh, closed or clicked off your Bible, uh, you can go back there to Colossians chapter 1. Let's look at our first point for recovering the biblical practice of radical resiliency. It is in Colossians chapter 1. Here is our first point. Here's our first point. Okay. I'm going to go old school here. Slide, please. (laughs) The guys in the back are too young to know what slide. There we go. All right. Thank you. All right. Here's our first point. Pray for knowledge and wisdom that lead to endurance. Pray for knowledge and wisdom that leads to endurance. Look back at the text as Paul launches Colossians, the letter to Colossians. I want you to hear, okay, as we go through these texts, your, your mission is to listen for What does this text have to teach us about resilience? Okay, so let's look back at the text. Chapter 1, verse 9. Paul starts his prayer. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you 
and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So you ask, where do we start in a desire to grow in resilience and endurance? We start, excuse me, we start according to this text with prayer. Do you see that? Before we talk about what to do and how we develop it, and, and we start on our knees. We start in our prayer closet. We start with appealing to God to say, Lord, I need your grace to walk through this hard thing, to deal with this challenging reality. You don't get to persistence without prayer. As the Puritan John Bunyan used to say, we can do many things after we have prayed, but we can truly do nothing else until we have prayed. We need to remember that prayer. Now, now notice it's interesting. Paul here does not pray for the Colossians to enjoy this steadfastness, this perseverance directly. Did you notice that? This prayer is actually insightful because it tells us that, that resilience and perseverance is the byproduct of something else. Right? You, you don't get persistence by saying, I'm going to just go get it. You get persistence by pursuing something else that produces steadfastness. So look back at the text and, and let's see if we can, we can unscramble the puzzle here, okay? He says, he's praying for the Colossians, what? That they would have, it says there in verse, uh, where is it? Verse 9. He says, we've not ceased to pray for you and ask, what? That you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So what's he praying for? He's praying for the Colossians to know the knowledge and wisdom and understanding that reflects the will of God. In other words, when we're praying, we're praying to know and do the will of God. And you say, why is that important? We need the knowledge, the wisdom of Scripture to know what pleases God. And that's what verse 10 is. We need that knowledge, verse 10, so that, why? You can walk in a manner, live in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, to bear fruit in every good work, to increase in the knowledge of God, to be strengthened in all power according to His glorious might. That's why you and I need knowledge and wisdom and understanding, to honor God, to please Him, to walk in His ways, and to know those benefits. Benefits. And here you go. Watch this. And when we are knowing and doing the will of God, when we are praying to know and do the will of God, to honor him, to please him, to walk in a manner worthy. Watch this. So that verse 11 for the attaining of all steadfastness. There's our word and patience. See, steadfastness, resilience, perseverance comes at the end of the prayer, not at the beginning. Perseverance, resilience, diligence uh, in, in life to deal with difficulties comes as we are knowing and doing the will of God and seeking to please Him in all respects. If you try to get to perseverance directly, you'll fail. You get there by focusing on what is the will of God. What has he told me to do? My greatest desire is to please him and to honor him and walk in a manner worthy. And and that's so insightful, isn't it? If I see in my heart a deficiency of resiliency, 
that that is actually a symptom, according to this prayer, that I'm not knowing and pursuing and following in the will of God like I ought to. Because that's the byproduct. Okay, does that make sense? So perseverance, endurance, resiliency starts with praying that you and I would know and do the will of God and walk in a manner worthy. And as we're walking in a manner worthy, that's the context that God bolsters our perseverance and develops resiliency. Okay, we start on our knees. We start with, and if you know somebody, maybe you're not going through it right now, but you know somebody who does, and you're like, man, I want, I'm going to pray for you. Don't just pray that they're encouraged, although that's a good thing. Don't just pray that, that their trial would be removed, although that's a good thing to pray for. Pray like this. Pray that they would know the wisdom and knowledge of God. Pray that they would walk in a manner worthy. They would please God in all respects. They'd bear fruit in every good work. They'd increase in the knowledge of God. Pray like that. And you will see resiliency and perseverance growing as fruit of that pursuit. Are you with me? Is that making sense? Okay, we pray like that for ourselves, for others. That's key number one for recovering radical resiliency. Pray for that knowledge and wisdom that lead to it. Number two, here's our second pursuit, our our second key ingredient for finding this resiliency. Uh, We'll find this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So I'm going to keep you guys, I'm going to keep your fingers athletically engaged as you go from verse to verse. So turn with me to 1 Timothy. Just turn the page to the right a few pages to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And let's look at our second key ingredient here. That is this, actively strive for resilience in your spiritual growth. Actively strive for resilience in your spiritual growth. Now, this is interesting. Again, connecting resiliency and being resilient in certain contexts here. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But flee from these things, you man of God. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, now again, we're, we're parachuting in, right? So we're trying to figure out what's going on, what's Paul talking about. In the context, you guys know this. If you just look back a few verses above our verse here, Paul is talking about the love of money, right? He's warning about the dangers, not of money itself, but the love of money that leads to all sorts of evil. And if you look back even further in the context, that comes in a discussion about being bogged down and distracted by sinful responses like envy like worldliness, like a lack of contentment. And this is insightful. I I don't want to read too much into this, but I don't think it's surprising that a conversation about perseverance starts off in this text with thinking about being distracted, by thinking about envying what other people have, by thinking about worldliness and all these sorts of things. Because would you agree with me? One of the reasons that we struggle to deal with life in a godly way, we lack perseverance, is that our minds are in 57 other places at any given moment. Would you agree with me on that? I mean, it's like, ding, 
ding, ding. You know, every time you turn around, your phone's alerting you to something. There's some, you know, news feed. There's some deal there, some, some social media. And we've got screens up. You can't go to the restaurant anymore and just hang out with your buddy because there's nine screens there. And then they're ding, ding, ding. Their phone's going up. And we are a distracted culture. And most of the time, what are those? Now, if it's your grandson reaching out to say, hey, grandma, that's a good distraction, right? We're okay with that. But many times those distractions are putting our attention, putting our focus on things that will not help us to know and do the will of God, right? There are other things. Again, we love the Rangers. We want them to win, right? That's not, that's not bad. But if we're always letting our hearts go to sports or to economics or, you know, the, the, what the, um, is happening in the news or overseas or whatever, when we're always looking at that, what we're doing is we're neglecting our heart in focusing on things that are going to help us to persevere. And furthermore, I mean, maybe you think this, um, we are more technologically connected than any other time in history. On that little device in your pocket right now, you can access more information and more of the goings-on in the world than at any other time in history. And I think that's part of it. You know, the, the things that are on our minds that we know are massive in compared to past generations. Now, is it great that we can know what's going on in the Middle East and our missionaries there and whatever? Yeah, th- th- there's a, a, don't hear me say the technology and is, is bad. It's that what that technology can do if we're not careful. That's the problem. And so we're carrying around a lot more weight of worldly distractions. And the more weight we carry, the more we must focus our hearts on the things that are going to bolster resilience. Does that make sense? So again, I don't want to read so much into that, but that is the context that Paul is getting ready to talk with us about as he brings up the subject of perseverance. So back to our text. Flee from these things. You say, fleeing from what? From worldliness, from the love of money, from envy, from a lack of contentment. Fleeing sin, listen to this guys, fleeing sin is the prerequisite of perseverance. Fleeing sin is the prerequisite of perseverance. He's going to say flee from these things and then pursue perseverance, right? Which means, and this is, this is sobering, maybe my lack of perseverance is because I'm not fleeing sin. Right? Maybe I'm entertaining it. Maybe I'm tolerating it. Maybe I'm not fighting it. You know, I'm, I'm fighting sort of, but I'm not fighting to the death. And what he says here is before we can get to perseverance, you have to set out on a search and destroy mission on sin in your heart. It, it's a fleeing pursuit. Repent. Turn away. That's the prerequisite. Fleeing sin is the prerequisite of perseverance. And again, Paul has some things here in the context. Can we just back up for a second and just think, what are some of the things that trip us up when it comes to resilience or perseverance? What are some things that we struggle with sinfully that keep us from persevering? Well, I have a little list just thinking about my heart. Maybe you can develop a list for your heart too. How about this? Fears of all sorts. Fear of this medical thing, fear of this loss, fear of this situation. Fear of this car accident, fear for my kids, fear for my money, fear for my health. Fear feeds distraction and, and undermines perseverance. Anxiety. How about this? Striving for control. Striving for control. 
You can't persevere and meet the challenges of life in a godly way if my whole life, if your whole life is characterized by trying to micromanage every circumstance. That's something that needs to flee. You say, what's wrong with that, Keith? Why do we have to flee from that? Because we're not God. We need to stop acting like we're sovereign and then getting frustrated when when God reminds us that we're not. Anxiety, striving for control. I think we struggle with with um, perseverance and resilience today because maybe more than any other generation, we idolize ease and pleasure. We idolize ease and pleasure. And anything that's not pleasurable or easy, we, we feel like is like, ah, there's something wrong. When the reality is for most of church history, uh, Christian men and women have known nothing but difficulty and displeasure and struggle. And, and it's only God's, God's kindness that, that life is so easy for most of us relative to past generations. We idolize ease or pleasure. We are self-indulgent. I'm just, I, can I just pick on myself here? I am the most self-indulgent person I know. You know, it's, it's like, I call it Burger King theology, right? I want my way right away. You know, it just, and that's how I go through life. And maybe you struggle with that too. And when my mindset is, I want it, I should have it. Then when, you know, in God's kind sovereignty, I come up with something that's difficult or hard. I act like something's wrong. Instead of recognizing maybe that's my kind heavenly father saying, that's not the best thing for me. I got something better. So these are things we need to repent of. Fear, anxiety, striving for control, idolizing ease or pleasure, self-indulgence, worldliness. We talked about just being distracted all the time. So repentance is needed. Turn away from those things. And instead, we replace those things with what? The pursuit of the right things. Paul gives us a list as he loves lists. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and perseverance. You get perseverance when you're actively pursuing it as part of normal spiritual growth and maturity. So we pray for it, and then we pursue it as normal spiritual maturity. And I think, as I've looked at church history, this is true. Christian men and women that have persevered through the most difficult things are Christians that have been, you know, godly, mature, and thriving in their walk with God. Uh, there's a correlation there. If we want to be those that persevere and, and develop this resilience, we have to be active in pursuing a walk with God. We, we, we can't be spiritually malnourished and expect to endure. That's his point. So we flee from it, from the wrong things that feed uh, idolatry, and we pursue the right things. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and here's our word, perseverance, right? You get perseverance when you're actively pursuing it as a normal part of spiritual growth. Now, as a footnote here, one temptation that cripples resiliency in Christians is simply believing you can't achieve it. You ever thought like that? Maybe you go like this, man, that guy over there, he's just, he's the all-star. He's like a spiritual superhero and, and he just goes through hard things. He's always singing and I'm not like that. And we believe the lie that resiliency is for everybody else except us. We believe that God just makes people like that, right? And if you read, it's interesting, you read psychology, a lot of the secular psychology on this is like, well, people are just kind of wired like that or whatever. Um, I think the Bible tells us better. Because what this verse is saying is we can actually develop 
perseverance, regardless of what of our, whatever our natural wiring happens to be. Certainly, that's a factor. You don't need to turn there, but just listen to what Peter does. Okay, I want you to just listen to this. Here's what Peter says. Christ has given us his divine power. Okay, that comes to us, giving us everything we need for life and godliness. And that comes through the word of God, right? So Christ's divine power, everything we need comes through the scriptures. Now, just just listen. Okay, listen to what Peter says. He says, applying all diligence in your faith. Supply moral excellence in your moral excellence, knowledge in your knowledge, self-control in your self-control, perseverance and in your perseverance, godliness. What's he saying? Here's what he's saying, guys. I know that's a long chain. Look it up later on. What he's saying is that same divine power that Christ gives us for everything pertaining to life and godliness means his power is sufficient to develop perseverance in your life and in mine. If you're not naturally like that, I got good news. You have a powerful Savior who can develop that in you and in me. Christ's divine power grants us a growing ability to develop perseverance as we are diligent to pursue it. Okay, so how do we handle this crisis of resiliency? That's what we're trying to answer. How do we engage the battle of perseverance, of a a lack of endurance that we see in our own hearts, we see in our culture, we pray for it, Right For wisdom and understanding that develop it, we actively strive for it as a normal part of our spiritual growth. Here's the third thing. We want to embrace difficulty as the training ground for perseverance. Embrace difficulty as the training ground for perseverance. You say, Keith, that doesn't sound so fun. Well, let's just think about this for a minute. Uh, You know, the New Year's coming up, right? I mean, Christmas decorations have been up since Labor Day in Home Depot, and reminding us the weather is cool. Yeah, the, the end of the year is coming, right? And New Year's resolution. Let, let's say as a New Year's resolution, you're like, you know what? I'm finally going to get in shape. I'm going to get in shape. I'm, I'm going to get join the Y or Planet Fitness, and we're going to go. <clears throat> I'm going to go seven days a week, or maybe three, or right? But you're going to go. And, and so you've never been to the gym in your life. You've like literally never. So you get one of your buddies who's built like this, right? And you're like, can you go and show me how to do this? And you're like, okay. And you sit down on the bench and you put some weight on the bar. You're going to do a bench press, right? <clears throat> and you're like, Ugh! and you drop the bar and you're like, you know, this is too hard. I can't do this, right? And, and what's your conclusion? Your conclusion is this is too hard to do. I can't do this. When anybody knows, if you've done sports or gym, it's that hardness that does what? It makes you stronger. You know, if you've never run a mile before and you go out, you're going to do a 5K, I'm going to do a 10K, I'm going to do a half marathon. And you go out and you run down your block, you come back, "Uh, I can't do this, right? Well, Well, you don't stop running and stay on the couch to get better. You go to the gym, you run, you 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 little by little, right? And And I think that's how we view trials. We see a trial, we say, that's too hard, I can't do that. Instead of recognizing, guys, the trial is God's gymnasium. The trial is the spiritual workout plan. The difficulty is the spiritual barbell that God is asking us to lift as a means of strengthening our faith and producing perseverance. So if we look at the trial and say, I don't want anything to do about that, or I have to go get stronger before I can enter that, you never get stronger. You can't sit in the parking lot of the YMCA and hope you're going to get stronger. you got to go in. 
You got to enter the trial. And that's, I'm ahead of myself here. The illustration comes before the point. Let's go back to the text. Actively, uh, where is it? Embrace difficulty as the training ground for perseverance. Look at James chapter one. James chapter one. This is hard, guys. This is hard. But I want you to see the logic. And maybe the logic doesn't make it any easier, but at least you and I will stop lying to ourselves about it. Consider it all. What's the next word? Joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's our word, endurance, hupomone. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect. That word means complete or mature, lacking in nothing. Um, That verse challenges our conventional notion that trials and difficulties are something to grieve and run away from, not something to embrace. And yet the wisdom of God in this passage and many other passages, right? We, we read Romans. Romans says the same thing. Hebrews 12 says the same thing is that those difficulties and trials are the very means by which God is going to bolster our perseverance and our endurance. That's the way he's going to develop it. Um, and so if we're always running away or fearing that or doing everything we can to avoid that, we're not going to get stronger. We're not going to endure. You can't sit in the parking lot all day. And you know what? God is kind. God, you know what? God is so kind. And, and you tell me if this is horrible to say. God loves us enough to force us in the doors of the spiritual YMCA. He loves us enough to sit us down at the bench press. He loves us enough to force us onto the track and push us on to run. God is going to manufacture in his sovereignty trials and difficulties and struggles because he wants us to be like his son who for the joy set before him did what? He endured the cross. Jesus is an endurance runner, isn't he? According to the Bible. Do you want to be like him? Do you want to be like your savior? And if the answer is, yes, I do. I do. I really do. Then we have to reinterpret. We have to rethink when a trial comes, we don't go, oh no, this is horrible. We need to say, thank you, Lord, because I know you're going to use this to make me strong in Jesus and make me more like your son. And that's why James can say when you're on the other side, he says, count it all joy. That's a good thing. When God renews your spiritual Y membership and we go, no, I want this to go away. We say, Lord, make me like your son. Make me see it like you see it. Help me to see this as a grace not a punishment. And sometimes you go to the gym, you feel like that, right? It feels like a punishment. It is a punishment, but it's a good punishment. It's a good trial. It's a good hurt because what it produces. What this text is claiming is that the very same difficulties that we're tempted to believe we can't endure are actually God's gracious training plan to develop that endurance. Does that make sense? What we're tempted to believe is the trial we can't endure. We can't do it. 
when what that trial represents is God's training plan to, re, to produce the very endurance that we think we need. You know, I was thinking about that. Maybe that's why the greatest generation, you know, that, that generation that came out of the Great Depression and fought in World War II was one of the most resilient generations of our lifetime. Because they didn't know anything normal beyond trial and difficulty and struggle. That was normal life for them. And I'm not saying, you know, everybody was a Christian back then, but, but in God's wisdom, those difficulties, those life issues, the depression, the world wars, and all that went with that, went that, uh, the economic downturn and the stock market crash, all of that was normal life. They didn't know anything else. And it made one of the most resilient generations. So I think we can learn from that. Ask yourself this question. Am I fighting against the very thing I'm praying for. Is it possible that you're fighting against the very things that God is bringing in your life to make you like His Son? You're saying, I want to be like Jesus, but I want to go on vacation. Right? Don't, don't fight against the very things that you're praying for that you want. And God brings these hard things in to make us like his son and to bolster and, and, and develop perseverance. That's our, our third principle. Embrace difficulty as the training ground for perseverance. Here's another point. Get to know others who persevered well. Get to know others who persevere, persevered well. Just back up a few pages to Second Timothy chapter 3. Does this make sense? You with me? Okay, we're talking about the crisis of resiliency. Why, why do we struggle to endure? Why do we struggle to persevere? What's going on in these younger generations? Why do we struggle? You may say, I was a part of one of those older generations. And then I got to retirement. And I'm falling in love with ease. I'm falling in love with pleasure. So I don't, I don't think this is a generational problem. I think this is a human being, we all have fallen hearts problem. And no matter what season of life we're in, we need hupomone, right? We need perseverance. We need to endure. And one of the ways we're going to do that is to get to know others who persevered well. Listen to Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. Now you followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my... Hupomone, right? Perseverance, persecutions, sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. And what persecutions I endured, and yet out of them, all the Lord rescued me. Paul says something really insightful. He doesn't just say, hey, I want to be a model for you in how I love people or how I teach the Bible. or And, and, and he says those things. But does it strike you as odd? He says, I want to be your model for how I suffer. That's interesting, isn't it? We, we don't, you know, again, the World Series is going on, and, and you may have your favorite sports hero, your your favorite um, writer or author, your favorite musician, your favorite band. We, we all have favorites in, in all sorts of realms of life. We don't often think this. I want to find a hero in suffering. But that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I want you to follow my example in how I persevere in hard things. And I don't know about you, you don't see that on a baseball card. Right? Do they still have baseball cards? 
I'm dating myself. Do they have baseball cards still? Do they? Yeah, they do. Are they still like paper and they have bubble gum that tastes terrible? No? Okay, all right. Showing my generation here. Yeah, you don't see that, right? You don't go seek out the person that no one's ever going to write a movie contract for. No one's going to ever... You don't do that. Our, our heroes are successful. Our heroes emulate people of ease and pleasure, feeding our idolatry, don't they? And Paul says, you need a hero for suffering. You need an example of people that persevered. We need models. We need examples. And I hope we can be adults and say this, okay? We need spiritual superheroes. We do. Not not people with extraordinary power, but normal believers like you and me, empowered by the same spirit, uh, driven by the same Bible, that walked with God through hard things. We need those. You say, why do we need that? I think that when we have heroes that, that suffered well, one of the things it does is it normalizes our suffering. Remember when Paul tells the Corinthians, no temptation is overtaking you except that which is common to man. He's not saying your trial is unimportant. What he's saying is your trial is normal. Your trial is normal. And again, not to minimize it, not, not to say it's not, not a big deal, but it's normal. Um, you know, the other thing that, that getting to know people that have suffered well does is it reminds us that nothing strange is happening to you. Remember Peter in 1 Peter 4, he says, you know, this fiery trial is, has come upon you. Don't, don't be surprised at the fiery trial as some strange thing is happening to you. Like, whoa, like the world's broken. Like, whoa, it's always been broken since Genesis 3, right? And, and this is where I think we can help some of our younger generations who do have it a lot easier than some of the older generations is helping them to see that ease and pleasure and peace and tranquility and provision are God's kind gifts that are extraordinary in history is not normal. What we think of as normal life is dreams for most Christians in most generations. That's not the way it's been. And so when you have a hero, when you have a, a spiritual superhero from the Bible or church history, it reminds you that my ease and, and happiness and relative pleasure and health today is not normal life. It's extraordinary grace. And as Job said, the Lord can give and the Lord can take away. But it's his kind gift. Do you, have a, do you have a spiritual hero? Do you have someone that you look to in the annals of church history and say, that's my guy, that's my girl, who encourages you? If you don't, I want to encourage you to get a hero. You need a John Bunyan. You need a John Newton. You need a John Calvin. And, and people other than John is okay. Um, you need a Johnny Erickson Tata. You need a Brian Birdwell, our state senator. You know his story? In the Pentagon on 9-11, when the airplane hit, he was down the hall, away from his office, in the men's room when the airplane hit. The other two folks in his office instantly killed when the airplane collided in the corridor. He survived because he was in the restroom, burned over 60% of his body. And over the next months and years 
underwent excruciating treatment. If, if you, some of you medical people know what burn victims are like and some of the treatment involved there. Just absolutely agonizing. It, and, and he actually says in his biography, um, he sounds like Job, right? If my, if my life was going to be this hard, why didn't I just die when the airplane hit? I don't understand it. This is worse than dying. Uh, his biography, refined by fire. Get it, read it, cry over it, and be thankful for God's grace in our state senator's life. Uh, you know the story of Bunyan? He was imprisoned because he refused to stop preaching the gospel. Uh, his, his great grief was his young blind daughter who he longed to see. And um, he could have walked out of that prison any day. All he had to do would say, I won't preach Jesus. You're free, Mr. Bunyan. Don't preach Jesus. And he didn't. And that's where he wrote the classic book, The Pilgrim's Progress. We need people like that. We need guys to say, I want to be like that. And, and study them. Study how they think. Study how they feel. Study what they tell themselves. Study how they work through things. Study how they deal with difficult emotions. Study how they process. Study their faith. Study the verses that were near to them. And, and strive to be like them as they are like Christ. We need them. Uh, one hero that I'm sure most of you have never heard of is a guy named Christopher Love. He was a Puritan, Presbyterian Puritan, Welch descent, 17th century preacher. And uh, he got caught up in the political battles going on between the Church of England and the, and the dissenters and, and all of that. Uh, he was eventually um, tried for treason as he got caught up in that, and sentenced to execution. What do you do when you know your spouse that you love is going to die? What do you tell yourself? What do you, what do you, how do you think about that? What do you say to your spouse? Can I, can I read for you Mary Love's letter, Christopher Love's wife, she wrote, last time she wrote him before his execution, July 14th, 1651, before I write a word further, I, do, I beseech thee think not that it is thy wife, but a friend that now writes to thee. I hope thou hast freely given up thy wife and thy children to God who has said in Jeremiah 49, leave thy fatherless children and I will preserve them alive and let thy widow trust in me. Thy maker will be my husband and a father to my children. Oh, that the Lord would keep thee from having one troubled thought for thy relations. I desire freely to give thee up into thy father's hands and not look upon it as a crown of glory for thee to die for Christ, but as an honor to me that I should have a husband to leave for Christ. I dare not speak to thee, nor have a thought within my own heart of my unspeakable loss, but will wholly keep my eye fixed upon thy inexpressible and inconceivable gain. Thou leavest but a sinful mortal wife to be everlastingly married to the Lord of glory. Thou leavest but children, 
brothers, sisters, to go to the Lord Jesus, thy eldest brother. Thou leavest friends on earth to go to the enjoyment of the saints and angels and the spirits of just men made perfect in glory. Thou dost but... Thou dost but leave earth for heaven and changest a prison for a palace. And if natural affections should begin to arise, I hope that a spirit of grace that is within thee will quell them, knowing that all things here below are but dung and dross in comparison of those things that are above. I know thou keepest thine eye fixed on the hope of glory, which makes thy feet trample on the loss of earth. My dear... I know God hath not only prepared glory for thee and thee for it, but I am persuaded that he will sweeten the way for thee to come to the enjoyment of it. When thou art putting on the clothes that morning of his death, oh, think I am now putting on my wedding garments to go to be everlastingly married to my redeemer. When the messenger of death comes to thee, let him not seem dreadful to thee. But look on him as a messenger that brings thee tidings of eternal life. When thou goest up the scaffold, think, as thou saidest to me, that it is but thy fiery chariot to carry thee up to thy father's house. And when thou layest down thy precious head to receive thy father's stroke, remember what thou said to me. Though the head was severed from the body, yet in a moment thy soul should be united to thy head, the Lord Jesus in heaven. And though it may seem something bitter, that by the hands of men we are parted a little sooner than otherwise we might have been, let us consider that it is the decree and will of our Father, and it will not be long ere we shall enjoy one another in heaven again. Let us comfort one another with these sayings. Be comforted, my dear heart. It is but a little stroke, and thou shalt be there where the weary shall be at rest and where the wicked shall cease from troubling. Remember that thou may eat thy dinner with bitter herbs, yet thou shalt have a sweet supper with Christ that night. My dear, by what I write unto thee, I do not hereby to undertake to teach thee. For these comforts, I have received from the Lord by thee. I will write no more, nor trouble thee any further, but commit thee into the arms of God with whom ere long thee and I shall be. Farewell, my dear. I shall never see thy face more till we both behold the face of the Lord Jesus at that great day. We need heroes like that to help us to know what it looks like to love and respond to hard things. Unless you think, great for her, I could never do that. We need our last point. Remember that Christ in you ensures your resilience. Christ in you ensures your resilience. Listen to Paul to Colossians. But we have this treasure, and by that he means the gospel, in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. 
Listen to this. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. You say, what's that? That's resilience. That's hupomone. That's perseverance. That's endurance. You say, how do we do that, Paul? How can, how can that be true? Listen to verse 10. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. He's saying we are united to Christ by faith. And because of that, we suffer because he suffered. But also because we are united to Christ, we are united to his life as well. And that life that we have connected to him in Christ ensures our perseverance. Brothers and sisters, if you have Christ, if I have Christ, he ensures resilience and perseverance. He has predestined us to it. We will endure. We will grow. We will make it. We have a sympathetic high priest in Christ who gives us grace and mercy to help. We know his grace is made perfect in our weakness. His power is seen evident in him. That's what he does. So at the moment that you and I are tempted to say, there's no way. We lift our eyes to Christ and we say, yet not I, but what? But Christ in me. He is able. He is worthy. He is powerful. He is gracious. If you have been united to him, he ensures and guarantees our endurance. The question is, do we believe that? Do you believe Jesus is enough, not just to get you through the trial, but allow you to flourish and grow in it and through it? Let's pray. Father, we thank, we are thankful that we have such a Savior, that He is sufficient, that we have been united with Him, and that ensures that we'll make it, that we're going to get through it, and that we have what we need to not just survive, but to thrive and, and, and to grow our faith in the midst of hard things. Father, we want to endure. We, we want to persevere. We want to be like our Savior who endured. But we're weak. We're frail. We struggle. Will you help us by means of your Son? Will you give us a renewed confidence today in whatever trial we face, that because Christ is in us and we are in him, all will be well. Let us fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith, and knowing just as he had joy set before him to endure the cross, we access that same endurance as we look to him. Father, encourage us in these things that we have a great Savior. We have a sufficient Savior who will never leave us or forsake us. We're so thankful for his work. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.